We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. squad in fitness race ahead of Manchester United game after shooting themselves in both feet. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Clinton, the Black Man Twitter, and Gunnar, hello everybody. This should be a difficult one, I think it's fair to say. Um, I think it's a game that left us with more questions than answers, and that people have a, a very disparate range of opinions about. Um, now, you could say that happens after every game, and it does to some extent, but it's interesting because the the instant reaction we did, you know, I was pretty upset, and I, I think you know at full time it was easy to be upset, and and kind of came pretty strongly with my feelings about how the game went. And it's it's always interesting when you have people who see it 180 degrees differently, and then people who see it exactly in that direction. And that I think that is rare. This is a game where some people felt we were excellent, really, but made two critical mistakes that cost us the game, and other people who see problems in this game that could be a concern for us continuing throughout the season and have been a concern uh, already. So we're going to have a lot to try to diagnose and dig through. And I, I think games like this can be tricky because the game state changes things. When you play a game one nil down, that makes everything really difficult, right? I think of the Southampton game last season and you know the way we evaluated that game after being down one nil so early, very, very difficult. And you know, I also noticed that there's just a rush, I think, to understand who we are because we want to win a title. And because when you're chasing a Manchester City, every game feels existential because the margins for error are so small. So we'll try to put all of that together. The instant reaction was a chance to get some of the emotion out. Today is hopefully a chance to do the analytical stuff, right? To, to think about what really happened in that game. What I will tell you is that um, there was a point at which Manchester United we're down two goals. Liverpool, we're down a goal and a man. Manchester City were pegged back late. And we were leading at home to Fulham, who had 10 men. 
And I would like to go to the universe where that's how those games ended. Because as it turns out, uh, when we do win the title, we're going to look back on how we overcame this damaging weekend, I am sure, because that is not a heck of a great set of results. And here to break down... um, uh, the impact of this weekend on on what we have coming up in Manchester United and how we think about the where the squad is right now and what we have to do to get it right for uh, Sunday is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stillmanator. Hello, Tim. Hello there. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. So I do want to try to do the analytical thing today and, and not be as reactionary. Um, Tim, let me just, at a grand level, can I just get the the grand level for you of where you've landed now in this game, because I think the two poles of reaction are (laughs) we were good that this was a performance that had dominance and chances and look at the XG, you know, uh, you know, I, I much to his chagrin, I think, uh, and not reading the rooms got tweeted out that we were the team that had the most XG in the premier league this weekend. And of course people were quite ready to hear that, which is sort of understandable, but you know, there's that view um, and that it's just individual mistakes. I think there are other views that there were structural issues in the game beyond just shooting ourselves in the foot and that you know maybe it wasn't all just rosy, but oops, we made a few mistakes. Where have you fallen in the wake of that in terms of, of how you think about the game overall? Yeah, sure. So first, um, I'll stick up for Scott. Um, <laughs> facts don't care about your feelings, people. He tweeted out a fact. And whether you like it or not, that's what Scott does, and <laughs> he does the data, and he tweets out things that he thinks are interesting about data. And yep, some of also. you are just going to have to like grow up a little bit, basically. <laughs> but anyway, um, so <laughs> with that out of the way, um, I, I've landed somewhere between the two poles because um, call me a centrist, if you will, because like clearly. My biggest complaint about this game, and those who heard it on the instant reaction know I was very fixated on one thing, which is please stop giving the opponent a one-goal lead after one minute. That just Mm. fundamentally changes everything and makes it more difficult. And I think then it makes the game a massive emotional effort. And I think that's what happened to us. We got we had to make an enormous emotional effort to go to two one, and then everyone breathes out and goes, "Oh, we've done it!" And then we switch off and concede a goal. And you could feel that that was palpable in the stadium. I switched off. I was having a chat when that corner came in, and so were our defenders basically because <laughs> yeah. it was such an ex like it, it's that thing that was happening at the end of last season, giving ourselves a handicap having to go a million miles an hour to get it back. And it's just, it's too much. We need stability. And the first thing about that before anything tactical, stop booting the ball in your own net in the first 60 mm-hmm. seconds. Because that just changes everything. However, there are clearly, there are still structural issues. We've had a different left back in all three games. I think we can say safely now there is a live situation with Gabriel that's very, very disruptive, very, very unwelcome. Um, and yeah, and we're, we've not been able to start, start Zinchenko. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus has been injured. So there's a lot going on in a lot of different areas. And Partey at right back's quite new. And you could ask the question of the manager, actually, do we need to do that as well? Mm. I don't know. Like, because effectively, when the ball comes to Thomas Partey, he's so good with it. I can see where you want him in the team. But I think you can ask the question, maybe we just park that until the left side is a bit more stable. And I think he made a mistake starting Trossard ahead of Nketiah, thinking Nketiah is going really well. 
at the moment. And while you've got that in an unstable environment, latch onto it. If you've got a bit of stability, a player who feels good around a lot of change, stay with it. Trossard will get his minutes. It's a long season. There's a lot going to happen. We don't have to worry about panic about giving him minutes now. So I, I felt like I feel like there are structural issues, clearly, and it's been clear in all three games to differing extents. Um but and and that is gonna take some time, and I know we'll we'll get into the meat of all of that. But at the same time, you can't like you can't just dismiss the fact that we're giving away goals in the first minute when it's happening so often, and the fact we've had three home clean sheets in our last fifteen home games. That's a problem. That's a big problem. And for me, that's the biggest priority at the moment because the other structural stuff will will either sort itself out, or do you know what? It might not, and in a month we might just have to do something different. But for me, it all starts from there, and that's what we've got to sort, and that's what I'm going to have head loss about before I worry mm. about like Manchester City winning a game annoyingly, or whether a particular player, new signing, for example, works or doesn't. Like I, I'm going to park all that for now because it's very, very early for all that. But what is yeah. a continuation is making these games enormous emotional efforts and... Um, yeah, booting the ball in our own net in the first 60 seconds. Yeah, and look, I mean, I, I think this was one of the things that I, I went kind of big on the instant reaction is about that it feels like Mikel has taken a team that knew what it was and knew how to play and added more talent to it, but disrupted its understanding of what it's supposed to do. Now, the reason I am torn is I do understand the data and I do understand we had a lot of shots and a lot of chances. And for me to say, well, you know, we don't look like we understand what we're supposed to do, the counter argument would be, well, we must understand it a bit. We created all these chances, but this is where I'm going to do something I don't usually do, which is go to my eye test, which is just to me, neither the left side pod nor the right side pod looks as comfortable as it had, Clive, last season. And, you know, it's one thing, if you think party at right back works, and I've actually kind of defended it as maybe working when you had Timber, for example. Maybe it works a little less well when you have Tomiyasu. Maybe it works even less well when you have Kivi or what I'm getting at is, you know, and maybe it worked a bit when you had Eddie, but less well when you have Trissard. Like we're really starting to get far, far, far afield from the group and the structure and the selection and the patterns that we had developed. And we're really trying to learn new ones. Now, Manchester City did this at the start of last season. They didn't look super solid to start the season. They picked up a lot of points, but they look great by the end of the season. And we talked during preseason, we may not be great right away this season, but we may be trying to be great at the end of the season. That's really hard to keep in my head when you chuck away three points at home to a, a relegation-threatened side, and they will be relegation-threatened in my view. So despite the fact that we probably did create enough to win the game, and we did, we were winning, do you feel that we look less confident in how we're meant to be playing with this group and this system, the way he's he's tweaked it so far? Yeah, well, Fulham won't be relegation threatened. I think they're a, they're a decent team. If they replace mm. their centre forward, I think we're going to see them do well. They did well last season, by the way. All right, so we the start thinking. Is dreadful. That that's we, why I think they'll go down. But that's well, we, we need to start thinking about the Premier League differently. Um, we're in a league where a player who scored the winning goal in a World Cup final, then went on to score the winning penalty in the World Cup final, sorry, then went on to score the winning goal in the Europa League final a year later, has just signed for Nottingham Forest. 
Mm. Right? So we're in a league where the world's best players want to come to you. And all these teams are well coached. And they can all give us a kick in the nuts whenever they feel like it. If we're not concentrated. Which we haven't been at the start of games with Tim alluded to. Fine enough. Against so-called smaller sides. We were talking about Bournemouth, Southampton. And we're talking about Fulham. And that could be part of the problem how we approach these games. I'm in the ground like Tim, and I sit in these games, and I watch the starts of these games, and I watch the warm-ups of these games, and I watch it, and it is perfection. It is the sunniest, most beautiful day. The sprinklers are on. The music is going. Honestly, people who go know what I'm talking about. People who don't go, I cannot tell you how beautiful it is. It's beautiful. And then the game starts. And I swear to God, the players are still in this mindset which says, we're just going to win. I don't blame them. They look fantastic in the warm-up. Absolutely perfect. Cop on, mate. It's a game of football and people want to get you. Right? So, when it comes to the team set, we can all see that things are not 100% perfect. But this time last year, I sat in the same seats and was arguing with somebody that Ben White can play right back. We didn't know at the time Ben White can play right back. Everyone said, he's a centre-back. What have we bought him for? Now we can't wait to get him back to right back. The only reason we know about relationships that we know about is because they were tried and tested and we had to learn about them and then they succeeded or they didn't succeed. I was adamant Fabio Vieira was a right-sided player in the team. Came on left side and stuck that one straight up to me. Straight up to me and said, you're talking crap, Clive. I can play right and left. Hmm. Was I? Did I pick him as a substitute? Come on. No, I didn't. We have to open our minds up to learning new combinations and new relationships. We cannot just rely on the one relationships because when they break, we feel less confident as a group. If you have multiple relationships which to lean on, then we create something called depth. We can create flexibility. We're in August. I haven't even ordered my winter coat to go and watch football yet and people are saying the title is gone. What are we doing? Seriously, what are we doing? You know, and... We have to wake up to the fact, as, and I'm going to say this, I don't give a monkey's, I'm going to say this, seven years since we've been in the Champions League, this is a new season. I use the phrase men in black, Elliot. We need to men in black, what's that thing they use to wipe your mind? Right? I don't oh, know what yeah, it's called. flashy thing. Yeah. yeah. N- neuralizer. <laughs> neuralizer. Neuralize last season away. We're in a new world with new competitions, with new ambitions, with new expectations. And we cannot just do what we just did because we know it's not going to work because when April comes, we're going to be blown out of our ass. Why do you want to do it again? Because it makes us feel comfortable. I want to win too. I want to really win. I want to win when it counts. I want to I want to, I want to win. I want to be on Upper Street. I want to win. I mean, we're not going to win by doing what we did for the last couple of years because we've been. the evidence is there for us, clear as a day, clear as day. So I'm open yeah. to trying new things. But I want Gabriel to start too. Do you see what I mean? <laughs> but there's a, there's, there is the game and there is the politics to the game. And the politics to the game, we don't understand. The politics to the game, which made Kieran Tini come on the charity shield, knowing he'd been put in a shop window, knowing he's about to be sold, and Kivior, somebody who did really well in preseason, didn't come on. That's the politics of the game. It's the business. Mm. And we don't know everything about these selections. Let's just hold to the window shuts. Let's just hold ourselves. See what happens then. Yeah, I want to. I want to 
just double click on two things that you said, because I, I think they are things that I struggle with. One is you mentioned the white it right back thing. You're absolutely right. It's such a great example. But one of the reasons that we actually made such sunny predictions last season is we had an excellent preseason in the system we wound up using for the season. What we've done this season, starting with the Forest game, was new right off the bat. We hadn't seen it yet. So we're doing a little bit of learning during the season. The other thing I just want to mention to your point, you're, this is where I have a lot of sympathy because, like I said, we said it. We might not be great right away, but we're going to be great come April. But seasons aren't just learning exercises. They aren't just training processes. They are points, and the points matter, Clive. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to learn through the seasons. That's when the lessons are, are really well learned. Man City came to us in the home game last year, played Bernardo Silva at left back. Right, We mm-hmm. smashed them. They fixed it. Oyster hadn't have fixed it. They played four centre-backs to the back and went and win every single trophy thereafter once they found their blend, once they found their balance, when they found their system. Yeah. You have to learn by experience. You have to. Last year, you, we're doing it again. We did this last year, so why isn't it working this year? We have to learn by experiences. And the more experiences we have, the more we'll learn, more combinations we'll have, more go-tos we'll have when we really need it. We won't learn if we don't push the boat on some of these squad players and push and find out what they're all about and find out what relationships work. We will not learn. We will not get anywhere, I promise you. It's funny. Uh, Mikel might be the perfect manager for me, though, because he's a guy who, after every game, says we need to score more goals, and that's how I see football. So I'm happy that he's saying that because the funny thing is I came away from this game once again feeling that it's the attacking pods that don't look totally comfortable. And Scott tweeting out that XG stat, the only reason I, I, I reference it here is that it is tearing at my analysis of the game because I even rewatched it. And even rewatching it, knowing all the XG, I could not help but feel that there's some dysfunction in both pods. And I want to try to pull that apart a little bit. But before we do that, we don't usually do the TikTok of the game, Tim, but I think it's worth just touching on that opening goal. I mean, it's pretty easy to see Parting vacate the space that Saka passes into where there would have been a center back if we played four at the back. Like, you know, yep. and to me, see, this is what's funny because I listen to the Arts cast constantly, right? And I, I read Andrew and I listen to James. Like, maybe I'm just having a conversation with them, I'll admit. But I, I think Gabriel is not starting for tactical reasons. <laughs> I know nobody at this point believes that. But the reason I say it is... This is the only way Mikel can put Rice and Party and Havertz in midfield. If he starts Gabriel, he has to drop one of the three. And I don't think he wants to. I think he likes the control he gets having all three. And I think he wants to eventually be in a place where we can go 3-2-2-3. And that wide three of a left back, Timber, (laughs) then Tomiyasu, then Kivior, Saliba occupying the central space and party, uh, pardon me, and White occupying the right space with party being able to come into midfield and, and be next to, to Rice with Havertz and Odegaard together up front and the that sort of mushy three. It was, it was almost more like a, a four in this game or a five. But so I, I do see a tactical component to that. And, and the other reason I go back to that is if you really absolutely refuse to use Gabriel and it's purely based on a transfer, I just can't get over the idea that you bring him on in the most pressurized situation imaginable, down to 10 men, away at Palace, clinging onto a 1-0 lead. That's the last time you bring on a guy that you feel is in a a transfer situation that makes his head not on right. You know, it just doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't all add up to me. But so that opening goal, it's a sack of mistake. 
a little bit of pressure, but it's right where the center back would have been, but party vacates the space. What, what do you think about errors that come not just from errors, but from a system that everybody's still yeah. adjusting to? Yeah, that, that's very clearly where that came from. If you look at the nature of the first-minute goals that we've conceded, they're not all the same. So Bournemouth Bournemouth had a very good uh, centre routine uh, and we weren't ready for it. We weren't concentrating. Mm-hmm. Southampton, Ramsdale kicks the ball straight to their player. Mm-hmm. And this one is, is as you say, it's a, it's a muscle memory thing. It's not there yet. Saka passes it backwards. There's no one there to get it. Like clearly that that is the issue there. And that's why I think it's open to question about whether we need or, you know, whether are we doing too much on the right side as well with all of the change on the left side and everything. And I I kind of I do go back and forth a little bit on the Gabriel thing, but I do think it's a situation now. And I do think a lot of the reporting seems to be suggesting that some of the tenor of that reporting has changed, has, you know, saying mm, unlikely but not impossible. Mm. I I still very much think he's such a pillar player that, like, why can't he play that left-back role if it's really a left-centre-back role? You know, like why is Kivior and Tommy Asu so much more suited to that than him? Like, I, you know, I could see I mean, him. There's a lot of attacking third occupation for that player. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, we, we might see it. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Like, it just seems like it's been a back three to me. And Gabriel as the left centre back in a back three seems to make quite a lot of sense. But at the same time, you're right, because Zinchenko hasn't been playing. And I know that there's like fitness issues there, but I really expected him to start against Palace. I really expected, like, I, I, th- I think and have thought of Zinchenko as that kind of, if he's fit, he plays type player, but he hasn't so far. And by the by, I, I said this on the instant reaction, the thing until that second goal went in that I was fully prepared to talk about was, wow, that not just Vieira, Zinchenko and Vieira, that double sub changed the game. And you can see what the, we were trying to do there, get two like positive ball players into that space and what it did. And and that really, really worked really, really well. And And I just think we look better with Zinchenko in the team. Um, but on that right side, it's clearly not because th- the thing is for me, when Zinchenko, like, look, Zinchenko has some culpability in the second goal. We all know he's not a completely natural defender. At the same time, like, the goal we concede against Forrest, all the danger against Forrest comes down Partey's side. We concede here down Partey's side, and it's not really his fault. But like with Zinchenko, it feels like a left back inverting into midfield. With Partey, it feels more like a midfielder who occasionally stands at right back. Mm. If you get what I mean, mm-hmm. like, and, and I, I'm not saying Zinchenko is clearly not the most natural defender in the world, but I just think he's a bit more natural at that role, and I just think we've got more instability on that side of the pitch, and and like. You know, you kind of have to ask: Is this it? Then, is, does that mean? And 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 it might be. It might be that Zinchenko's just not considered a pillar player anymore. Maybe he's not in the team. Maybe we've bought Rice because Rice likes that type of the, that side of the pitch. And actually, we do want to invert from right back now, and we want Rice over there, and we want Havertz over there. Like m- maybe this will all come out in the wash. Like maybe that's the answer. Very few of us thought that White at right back was a permanent thing last year but it was permanent he played there the whole season and like some good players came just completely came out of the team like Tierney 
um, for example. So that 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 might be it. That I, I guess that's my overall kind of reaction at the moment. Is a lot of this we've really just got to wait and see. But I still think it's more likely that there's a situation with Gabriel, and I think it's that the club don't want to sell him, but he's interested in the move. I think that's what it is because honestly. Even with all of this, I wonder if all of this is a consequence of that situation. If this wasn't happening, I still just think Gabriel would be playing. I really do. Maybe I'm wrong about that. No, I mean, you are in the majority, I would say, for sure, in terms of you know what people think about this situation. I, I will say that I think the system we are currently using gets the best out of Declan Rice and we spent 105 million pounds or thereabouts on that player and he's been our best player through three games and he was brilliant again in this game and you know we've we've found a system that puts him in positions where he really thrives the left pod is just not going to work this way i mean last season it was zinchenko shaka and martinelli over on that side with jesus liking to drift that way and you know in a game like this you have kivior who you know i'm just going to say it i think he was really really poor in this game Havertz, who I also think was really poor in this game and is still trying to figure it out, and Martinelli. And that pod's just totally disrupted and it doesn't look like it's working to me at all. Um, you know, over on the right pod, Saka's being doubled and tripled up on and he doesn't have a guy overlapping over to the right to take a man away. So when he wants to cut into his left, he's still got three guys who are like, well, we know you're going to cut to your left and there's no overlapper, so we don't have to worry about that. Um, so I think, you know, there's there's still some figuring it out going on. Um in this game, I think we needed a goal in the first 15 minutes because in the first 15 minutes, we were really at them. Then there was a long period where they sort of got comfortable and we we poked and prodded and things like that. So, you know, Clive, I, I do want to interrogate some of the pods and I, I, I'd i like to look at this, this Havertz performance too. I, I think it's really divided opinion. Not that people are saying he was amazing, but I think there's some people that think he was fine and there's some people that think he was trash. And I, you know, I think... I think the reaction to him being bad, I think there's a couple key moments, right? There's a wall pass he makes in the second half from deep midfield where Rice gives it to him. There's no one behind him. He can take it on the half turn and push it up the pitch and he wall passes it to no one because Rice isn't waiting for it and it goes right back to Fulham. There's another one he does that too with Martinelli. And then, of course, there's the cross through the box that Saka delivers that he doesn't get to because he's on his heels. And I think things like that, you could hear groans in the stadium. You know, You could hear a little bit of frustration creeping in. Um, I do want to point out that Bukayo Saka had kind of a bad game. No one's going to worry about it because we know Saka's great. He's our star boy, no issue. Havertz is new. He's coming from Chelsea. There's questions, there's concerns. So when he has a game where he's off, there's going to be a lot, you know, a lot more hair pulling and, and hand wringing and criticism. Players have bad games. How do you feel the pods are developing in particular, maybe, Havertz figuring out a midfield role because it still looks a little uncomfortable to me or did in this game anyway. Yeah, so I did my bit this morning preparing for the pod so I rewatched the game and oh, okay. it's, it's quite interesting. You know, in the, in the IR, I, I sort of spoke about Martinelli. I thought he had a really good game. In the second half, he was right in front of me in the in the hot period when we were good and he ran himself into the ground and that was my impression of him. I thought, you know what? He had a really mm. good game. When I rewatched it, mate, the first four crosses go out, right? Miss yeah. miss the target on the back post. He slips one down the near post. That just goes straight out to the photographers behind the goal. It was a mile off. 
Right, and um, mm. so it's, it's, it's quite shots went straight at Leno. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and all these, and how many shots we have from that inside left channel, and uh, well, back passes, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we're looking at things. We have to be really honest about things. We spoke about Saka. Saka gave the ball away, and he was sulking for ten minutes. He was a bit down. His mentality is top, and he came back and was for anti Robinson, who decided he wasn't going to get embarrassed by him anymore. And they had two people coming over, and they really gave him a bit of a kick in. Right, so it, it, the whole game had the cloak of that first goal over it, and it and it, and it distorts how we look at people, and it just and it affects our patience with certain people. Havertz was okay in the first; I wasn't doing too much, wasn't doing anything wrong. At this point, he didn't get on the end of the cross actually, because I think that's what we got him for, you know. Um, the passes can be a bit conservative, but so can Smith Rose, and so can Trossard on occasion. But when you're sticking the ball in the net, we don't really care. Do you see what I mean? And he he, he didn't get those chances I thought he he, he should get on. I think some people who I talked to and believe to have us is better at centre forward, and that layoff was a centre forward's layoff, you know. And he has to get himself on the half turn a bit more, open out his body because he can travel with the ball, he can manipulate it, you know. So the charity shield stuck sticks in my mind. Elliot, I said if if European Cup finals tomorrow, I'd pick this team, right? And I thought it was perfect for City. I, I just thought it was fantastic performance tactically, balance wise. Gabriel played, Timber played. Havertz played up front, Rice and Pye in midfield, Wyatt right back. I didn't want to change one jot of that. You know, so I like normalcy too, right? So, but I didn't want to change anything there. So Havertz playing slightly deeper, I think there's things to learn. I don't think uh, Odegaard so sloppy in the first half, so sloppy. Mm-hmm. People, mm-hmm. And So this is a collective thing, and that can't just be because the centre-back's not standing there. You know, it, it can't be. It's down to it's down to maybe the goal has something to do with it. I I believe that honestly. I I saw party jump out. I do believe that the gap between Sleeper and Rice was sorry and White was massive, absolutely massive. Check your shoulders before you jump out. Don't just jump out. Don't assume the other team's not going to attack you. You know. So there are things that look lumpy and clunky, and we are used to being a flow based team, particularly at home. With a with a beautiful patterns of play that we can all recognise, but I've been saying this for a while. We can all recognise it, so we have to develop different things. I don't want to. I want every game to be with that wonderful first eleven in that plays beautifully, and we never have an issue. But that's just not the way seasons will go. But there's a few people not doing the business at the moment. They're not consistent, and they look a little bit off their game. But then we found our game. And suddenly the passes weren't going two feet dead on and stopping the flow. They were going one yard in front and we started to flow through. The accuracy and precision of our play is not there regardless of who's standing in there. You know, it really isn't. And I, I said on the IR, I've never ever been as down at half time in a game ever since we've been doing these podcasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, doing from the ground. I just couldn't believe it. It was just so lumpy it was so lumpy but you sort of have to allow for people to go through this and this is my issue really it's the it's the reaction to the lumpiness and and as a fan i'm thinking myself how are we going to stop that are we going to do it by system change get back some comfort or are we going to have to just ride through it and support the players to go through it And and i i do think sometimes players surprise you if if you if you support them, you know, and then uh, we had an example in this game, right? And um, 
And I just think I just got to hold his April, sorry, his August, not April, his August, game three of 55 potentially, game three of 55. Very hard to find perspective and we do it at our own time, but we have to find perspective because it's staring us in the face. Yeah, I, I mean, the only thing I'd say is th- that's all well and good, right? Like we, we created chances, we probably should win this game, we got ourselves in front. In the end of the day, this should have been not much ado about nothing. We ch- ch- you know, kicked a goal into our own net, really stupid, okay. And then we battered them, got it to 2-1. They got a man sent off, and we won the game. No drama. But it is drama because we didn't win the game. So that goal that we concede winds up changing what would have been the narrative, and the narrative probably would have been, yeah, we look a little lumpy still. We're figuring it out. But you know what? We're nine points from nine, and we absolutely battered them on XG, and it is what it is. We're still figuring it out a little bit. If we don't make individual errors, we're a very good team that has 72% of the ball, all of the shots, and gives away very, very little to these teams. But, like, that's not what happened. And I think the game within the game, there are little bits of it that now heading into the United game, you go, can he stick with Havertz the way he's playing? Does the left pod work in this system? Are we too vulnerable to the counterattack? Because, by the way, United are trash. But you know what they still do just fine? Counterattack, right? So there's going to be all this, all of this now in our head and in Mikel's head that he's got to figure out. Not being settled yet is understandable. It's early in the season. But I do think it means that it, it makes it harder to feel confident in your approach with the way this game played out. And by the way, I, I do think we're going to have to have a big question about game states and how we manage game states. Tim, I'm going to actually jump ahead. Let's jump ahead because I think this is important. We'll come back to, to some individual performances in a minute. Mm. Against Palace, we came on this podcast and praised the way we played down to 10 men. Now, I expressed that I wasn't super comfortable with how little we had of the ball. But you guys made the point, and I think, um, correctly made the point that we were never really actually under that much pressure. That, you know, yeah, we had none of the ball, but we defended in a low block against a team that's not good at attacking a low block, doesn't have a lot of experience doing it, and that worked for us. But now I think we have two consecutive games where I think you can actually see this team maybe just doesn't react to game states particularly well all the time. There is no reason at 2-1, okay, so think about this for a minute. It is 2-1 to the Arsenal against Fulham at home. They get a man sent off during this period. There's a 15-minute period between our goal and their goal where we have 38% possession and no shots. And that even includes a period where they're down a man. I am sorry. That, to me, says something about Maybe the mentality, the fear that's in the players had. I don't, I don't know what it is. There's no technical reason, tactical reason, why a team with the players that were on the pitch against 11 and then 10 men Fulham should have 38% of the ball, no shots, right after taking a 2-1 lead. Unless, you know, you're... Your head's a little bit gone. You're nervous. So I do think managing game states is, is an issue. Do you, do you have... The same concern I have about that period, because mm-hmm. I think inside of the game, that period stands out to me. Yeah, definitely. And I th- I th- well, there's two factors to it. There's the no shots part, which, again, away at Crystal Palace, a man down. I think you can understand that, albeit when did we really see that game out? When we brought those subs on and we didn't give them the ball. Bingo. So the 38% possession thing as well that's what's going to really worry Arteta as well I know you know you go back to that comment of his from a couple of seasons ago about the 300,000 passes 
um, when he was talking about that Watford game where we kept going two goals up and letting them back in it. And he made that kind of, you can't let them, you can't give them hope. You've got to make 300,000 passes in their half of the pitch. And, you know, we didn't do that. Um, and, and I'd say about this game, Elliot, to to bring it, you know, to tie it with the Palace game, I said that I felt like we won the Palace game twice mm-hmm. um, because we had two different scenarios. Uh, I appreciate we didn't lose this game, so forgive the slightly clunky phrase. We lost it say, two two at home. We yeah, lost we it twice. <laughs> we yeah. we punted the ball in our own net after a minute, and you're right. Uh, I I think it was an emotional thing, most likely, and I think that's what's happening with home games. There is something about our home games for the for most of this year that are so up and down, so harem scarem. I mean, I guess we had the Aston Villa away game, which was kind of similar in March, mm. but it's so up and down, so harem scarem. And I think, honestly, what happened here, and I, t- I talked about this with the Forest game, that I felt like the team went through what the players went through, which was they were 2-0 up and everyone's like looking at the scoreboard, looking at their phones, and it gets to 60 minutes and you're like, oh, it's still only 2-0 actually. Maybe if they <laughs> get one back and then you start to gradually, that thought starts to take over and you get more anxious. And I think that's what happened to the team. In, in this, I... I think the team went through exactly what we did, which was at 2-1, there's this massive explosion. We get two quick-fire goals, and it's great. And do you know what it reminded me of, Clive? I know you referenced this game a lot, that 3-3 against Liverpool years ago in Wenger's last season where we were 2-0 down, we went 3-2 up, and then looked at the scoreboard, and it was 66 minutes, and it was like... Uh, we needed this in like the ninth. We need this needed to be a Reese Nelson moment. That's the thing. Mm. Like Eddie and Ketty's goal needed to be twenty minutes later because what happened was everyone in the stadium. I did. I, I definitely did this. I think the players did it a bit. Went oh, phew, we've done it. We got away with it. And then everyone starts to slightly like log off in their heads a little bit and go, okay, we've pulled that round. Let's not do that again. Let's try. Oh no, oh no, the other team's just gone and scored and. I even forgot that Fulham had 10 men. Um, really, that fact didn't hit me till well afterwards. I was like, oh, yeah, they had a player sent off as well. Like, Because I mentally, I half-logged off from the game because I thought we'd done it. Mm-hmm. And I think the players thought that too, but it was, what, the 72nd minute when Eddie scores yep. that goal. And like, you've got to stay logged on and go, right, 3-1. Or, or, or at least, even if you're not going to do that, 70-80% possession. Let's make them chase it around and get tired and maybe we get a third near the end or something but we did neither of those things and I think it's just down to the the emotional regulation of the game which is all changed sorry to repeat myself by booting the bloody ball into your own net in the first Mm -hmm. 60 seconds it all comes from that that's what has to stop and it's happened too many times for it to be coincidence and so something I tweeted about afterwards and I think Clive alluded to this as well maybe there's something in the preparation of these games it might not be tactical it might be I remember when we had a really poor away record at the beginning of the century, Wenger changed the preparation for away games because we kept like just losing away from home stupidly. And so he started doing things like before London away games, he was like, right, we're going to go to a hotel the night before because I didn't used to do that. And they started coming out and warming up closer to kickoff. I don't know why they decided those things. I'm not privy to any of those conversations, but they went unbeaten away from home because they just slightly tweaked the preparation. Maybe, and I don't know because 
there might be nothing wrong with it. It might all be tactical. But if I were Arteta and the coaching staff, I'd be talking about this. I'd be like, what 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 times everyone rocking up in their Range Rover for home games? What are they doing first thing in the morning? Like, what's mm. what's our actual focus and outlook like? What are we like when we're warming up? Like, those are the questions I'd really be be asking. Yeah, I I, I think. It's interesting too because I think there was frustration with like Zinchenko obviously being sloppy and giving the ball away, which leads to a corner we don't have to give away. But don't concede for the corner. You have eleven men; they have ten. I watched the the first half again. We had a corner we defended like clowns in the first half too. This corner defending thing is an issue, and this is where it is going to be pretty easy for people to point to not using Gabriel. By the way, because like Gabriel is a better defender than Kivior. And we played with Kivior at center back to end the game when Zinchenko came on. And if Gabriel's in that box, I am convinced we defend it better. He's an organizer. He's a leader of the defense. You know, Saliba is an amazing guy. But Gabriel has that emotion you need in a center back. You know what I mean? He, look at how he played against Palace, the fire he plays with. I think having a defender who will get up people's backsides and like make sure that they're switched on, I don't know. I just, I can't see us defending that corner that way with him there. And, there were a couple of players that will have to have a look at themselves. Maybe just thought the game was won. You know, I don't know. We'll have to think about that. There's so much still here. We got to talk subs. We got to talk Vieira and his performance. Um, Cause I think it's great. The difference when Eddie and Kedia came on, came on, came on Gabriel Jesus, at least back on the pitch. And, and where does that leave us going in the United? So there's a lot there. Um, but before we can do any of that, it is obviously very important that we do, this, because we need to tell you about Athletic Greens. And in fact, let's not call it Athletic Greens. Let's call it what it is, which is AG1. I actually, I'm starting to see like real live TV commercials for AG1. They're growing up. They're, you know, everybody's learning about them now. And uh, the website has changed. It is drinkag1.com slash vision, by the way, drinkag1.com slash vision. So what is AG1? It is 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, adaptogens, probiotics. Basically, you put a scoop into water and you drink it. And it's fantastic. And um, I started taking it for gut health. Uh, that was an issue for me. It's given me more energy. You might say, did you need more energy? Well, I've been able to cut back on coffee a bit because I, I feel like I was drinking way too much coffee. So that's been helpful. It's great for recovery. If you're an athlete, it was designed by athletes for athletes. So great for recovery. Um, or even if you're not an athlete, you're just trying to get fit. This is going to help that. Plus, you're just not taking gummy vitamins that are 85% sugar. You're taking something that is derived from high-quality ingredients. It's uh, keto-friendly, paleo-friendly, vegan-friendly, dairy-free, uh, low-sugar. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs. With your first purchase, go to drinkag1.com slash vision. Again, let me be clear. That is drink, ag1.com slash vision. Now, obviously, once you've drank ag1.com slash vision, what you really need to do is hire people. I don't, even if you don't have a business, you should hire people. People hiring people, that's what makes the world go around. So what I want you to do right now is hire someone. You never know, what could you achieve if you hired someone? Well, first of all, you can figure out a way to hire someone. The way you do this with Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract interview, and hire all in one place. Those are the three critical things. If you don't attract them, you can't hire them. If you don't interview them, you can't hire them. If you don't hire them, you definitely can't hire them. That part feels tautological, people. So I'm going to tell you about Instant Match because Instant Match is the feature that over, uh, when using it, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment, all caps, they sponsor a job according to Indeed data. 
Okay. The other thing I want to tell you about Indeed is basically it's going to save you from going to this job site and that job site and this job site. Oh, this one's different. That one. one stop, one place. You get it all done there and you get what you pay for because Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must have requirements. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 job credit at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Again, that is indeed.com slash blue wire sports terms. You need to hire, you need indeed. Aha, you thought I was going to go to Clive there, but I'm not going to go to Clive there because I got to tell you this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is therapy. Therapy is wellness. Therapy is no different than going to the gym. Therapy is no different than updating your diet. Therapy is no different than going to the doctor. It is taking care of your mind. And you know, my wife and I were just talking about this. We're about to celebrate 10 years together and it's been wonderful. And I am uh, blessed to have her as a wife and certainly luckier than, than I have any right to be having her um, as my wife. We were just talking about like being the best versions of ourselves for one another. And you know, the thing I said is I, I want to get back into doing therapy because when I did it, the thing I found is that it helped me be the best version of me because I was able to just get out those things that are causing me to struggle. And so, you know, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. So I, I would just say, get a break from your thoughts, get them out there, get some help, visit betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash vision, betterhelp, better H-E-L-P.com slash vision. Do it now. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Okay, um, Clive, look, Mikel Arteta has, uh, I think, been very concerned about criticism he gets on the Arsenal Vision podcast. And I, I think that's great because that means he's really listening to thoughtful analysis of the team. His substitutions, I think, have been excellent. Um, he has a team he trusts now and he's using it. And I think that was always the question is when he has more depth, when he has more players he, that are in the group that he trusts, will he use them? And he has. Um, and he also wanted to rubbish your obviously idiotic idea that Vieira is a right-sided player only. I mean, we had to get rid of that. <laughs> he brings on Enkedi at halftime. I think that was really smart because, you know, I've heard it said Trissard was bad. Rewatching this, I think it was more that Trissard and Kai didn't really seem to know where they were meant to be in the system. They were swapping a lot, actually, which I didn't pick up on on first watch. Some Sometimes Kai was going into a center forwardish type position, sometimes not. Trissard's best involvement, when did it happen? out on the left wing when he plays in that cross to Saka, right, for the header. Should have had an assist. So it's not that I think he was bad, per se. Just didn't seem comfortable in the role. We put on a center forward. We looked a lot more focused to me. But Vieira comes on and makes all the difference. And this is where I think it's interesting. And in fact, Mikel made a comment about Kai's performance, a very specific one, which is interesting. Um, he said, I saw an action where he played backwards and he could have turned. Everybody saw that action. Everybody was talking about it. But that's one of the things and the demands of everybody to play forward and to impact the game in the final third because we had the urgency to win it. Okay? Th that's that's an answer he gave. Vieira, to me, looked like a midfielder playing midfield, and Kai, to me, looked like a guy who still didn't really understand his role. So how important were those subs in particular? And, and I think the Vieira one, which caught everybody's eye, and, and I'm so happy for him because – He's a guy that I think had come in for a lot of criticism, and this was this was a great performance. Yeah, what what Havertz is getting now, Vieira got it at Southampton at home last year. Very similar game, funny enough. Uh, the 3-3, three, three, very similar. The same angst, the same emotion. Every pass was being criticised, and eventually we got there to the draw, but we nearly won with Trossard hitting the bar. Very, very similar game. I think... Um, 
if I go now, calm myself down a little bit and talk about the game tactically, I think Fulham did a good job of holding the centre. I've noticed a lot of teams now blocking the centre, forcing out wide, travelling out wide. Now you've got to come back inside the tulips. When you come inside the tulips, we bite your ankles off. Right, so I said that on the IR. I didn't realize Paulinho was doing all the biting, <laughs> but um, what a good player he is, right? So I saw it on the way back. But um, yeah, they did it really, really well. But the gap started to show around the edges of their block. It, it did. And we started to get people around it. I think some of the way we look at football is so, so outcome based. It, it really is. And I could see the plan that they were trying to do the rotation with Trossard and Havertz. And I saw it. I was excited pre-match with the selection. I generally was, because I don't think we've been fluid enough in the front end of the pitch. And Ben White clipped one through to Havertz, and Havertz was a yard off, or the pass was a yard off, depending on who you like or don't like. <laughs> um, and you could see the you could see what they're trying to do, get him in behind, get him into free space, get him running. It didn't quite work. Trossard's touch is normally tip-top. It it wasn't tip top, you know. I felt we were a bit edgy in in these situations. So I, I will say that um, I think there's a debate around Havertz what he is. Is he a centre forward or is he a midfielder? But I think maybe we're looking at this wrong. He's just a front five player, and we expect him to do two jobs. And if we had a team sheet and he started and Trossard started left day and Havertz a centre forward the same rotation, we'd have a different thought process around what he is and what he's doing. We have to get used to the multiple jobs that people are doing within this system, right? So, so there is there is a challenge there, Elliot. There is a challenge to what we are seeing versus what we used to see. Now, my, my view is here on Vieira, I thought he showed something that he's never shown before, which is a level of absolute urgency. Mm. beyond his personality. I mean, he was running for the ball on throw-ins. And it's a great example to what Havertz maybe needs to do. Sometimes you need to transmit to people that you really, really care. Yera is a super talent. People didn't care for him because he looked light. He got pushed off the ball. The fact he can stick on him from 30 yards, we've forgotten that. You need to look after the ball, sir. You need to show that you care. And boy, did he show that he cared. Everything he did was 10 miles an hour quicker than what we've seen before. Elliot, Elliot I'm telling you, I'm telling you, mate. <laughs> I'll take it a few times to you, mate. <laughs> I'm telling you, mate, that performance was stunning. It was stunningly, stunningly good. It opened up my eyes to his potential. And I've, and I've always been a fan, as you know. But even beyond what I saw, be way beyond... His technical ability, the way he sweeps the ball, the way he strikes the ball, is beyond what's in his body. He should not be able to do what he's doing. His speed, his energy to get around an overlap, an underlap. He cutely, I was looking right down on the pen. He waited, he slowed and sped up and suckered him in. It was perfection. And suddenly he found himself. He found himself, did a coif around a corner, stopped the play. Everyone stepped back and said, I'm not going near him. And the players started giving him the ball. It changes so quickly if you allow it to develop. If you allow people to find themselves. How many times have you been in a new job you thought, Christ, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. And a month later, you're flipping running the meeting. It's just, you just got to allow people time to, to fight. And, and people are saying about Havertz, oh, he's been here before, he's been here before. Yeah, he has been here for three years. Yes, he has scored a goal in the Champions League final, by the way. He's not a mug. He plays centre-forward for his country. He's not a mug. 
we can't do what the Chelsea fans have done to him, which is basically destroy him, right? And we've got mm. him now. We have to do we have, we have to go the other way. We have to we have to overpraise him so that we get the player we think could be there. If we kill him, what's going to happen then? You're going to sit there and he's just going to sit there as a dead body on the bench. I, I feel strongly about this. I feel strongly I mean, about this. It'd be a huge police action, first of all. <laughs> that would be a very strange situation. I, I do. Maybe it's maybe it's my, my coaching background. I always think I can save dead bodies, right? Save save people, but I don't believe in killing people. That that can't happen. That, mm. that really can't happen. And then expect us to get where we want to get to, you know? And Vieira and Havertz, you cannot fail to see the. The comparisons. Do you see what I mean? It, it is the symmetry of it is kind of ironic that that Vieira the the game where Vieira lost the fans was a home game to Southampton where we went down early and then had to chase the game and it felt all very uncomfortable and uneasy. And the game where Kai started to maybe lose the fans is something similar. Now I would suggest we don't have a year to find Kai because he's meant to be one of our star starters versus Vieira, who is meant to be more of a longer-term solution. Look, you know what Vieira looked like to me, Tim? Vieira looked like someone who's been here a year now and knows where to arrive and what the next action is meant to be. And Kai, to me, looks like someone who still isn't sure what the next action is. Like, Kai's brain isn't moving fast enough yet. You know what I mean? We are a team that has to play at a certain tempo and you have to hit your spots and you have to know where to arrive. Uh, Mikel said in the post-match comments that Havertz should already have multiple goals this season. He should have a load of goals this season already because of the ball's not finding him. Where I would disagree with Mikel is I don't know if the ball's not finding him or he is not on his toes hitting his spots in time. Because there's so many, I think the, the way you lose the fans is when you don't look like you are on it. And there was one time where there was like a 50-50 with Leno. Do you remember this? It was down the sort of right-hand side, actually. And he had a chance to maybe get the ball ahead of Leno and he just kind of pulled up and it looked very odd. And that I, I, I confess Kai has that sort of Dimitar Berbatov thing going on, you know, or like, um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the best thing I could say the, the the technical level is through the roof, but there's almost like a casualness that you just feel emanating from him. Now that's not fair to judge someone off that. What is fair to judge is are you hitting your spots on time? Are you making the next, next action? Right. And in Vieira, I saw a guy who's now been here a year is a midfielder, knew where to be and what his next action was meant to be. And I didn't see that from Havertz. So this was the first game, not where I doubted Havertz's talent or his ability, but where I had certain questions of like, is this role a fit? Does he get it? He's three games in. There's plenty of time for him to get it. But impatience is understandable with the relentless pace of the Premier League. So how do, you, how do you distinguish those two performances, the Vieira performance, the impact he made versus maybe the the slightly less comfortable performance that Havertz had. Yeah, sure. So um, first of all, sorry, I should have said this at the top of the podcast, it's a bank holiday in England, so uh, my daughter's home, so you're probably going to hear her contribution. Well, that will be lovely. Uh, she'll do the wailing and the shouting that we're all feeling. I So I, I think it's kind of a similar, so I, I completely agree with everything Clive said there about like the personality of the player demanding the ball and all of that. I think a lot of that came from winning the penalty, like he yeah. had like that decisive action and his best mate Martinelli goes over to him like he's just scored the winner in the World Cup final mm. uh, and, and all of that. And it gives him that confidence. But really, I don't think you can separate the Vieira sub from the Vieira and Zin- Zinchenko sub. Mm. And the thing that's so good about that substitution, you've got, 
I think you do have, like everything you've said about Havertz is true. And I'm not here to say that he played brilliantly and you're idiots and you can't see it and all of that. And I'm not, I'm also not here. (laughs) I'm also not here to say it's all definitely going to work. Don't worry. Because I don't know that. None of us know that. It could be like this in two months time. That outcome is in play. It is. But I would say, consider some of the other things going on around the player. Three different left backs in three games so far. None of them, none of them did any... Well, Tommy Asu did play there last season a bit, I guess. So, like, Kibior didn't play there last season. Timber, we didn't even have. So, there you go. And then you have, um, you know, a, we've had two different strikers in there as well. I don't think we should have started Trossard in this game for the reasons I already said at the beginning of the podcast. And so there's a lot going on in that left-hand side and we don't have Gabriel as well, which kind of changes our build-up as well. So there's a lot going on around the player that I think at least you have to take into mitigation. But what we needed in this game and what click... Because like Vieira hasn't been coming off the bench before this game. He didn't come off the bench in either game, did he? These were his first minutes of the season. Mm. So there is a particular reason Arteta bought the player on. It's because he felt he needed... He needed ball players in that area of the pitch. That area of the pitch was too stodgy. The ball wasn't moving quickly enough. So he bought on his two best left-footed passers of the ball after Odegaard, who was already on and on the right-hand side of the pitch. We all saw all pre-season Vieira was right eight, right wing, right eight, right wing. Didn't go near the left of the pitch. But there was some detail that Arteta saw in that left space where he thought, I need guys that move the ball quickly here. I need passers here. And he bought two of them on. So it's not just Vieira. I do think there is something um, informative and that, that was helpful in bringing Zinchenko on as well. And it just meant the ball moved much more quickly. And we all saw what happened. It just And Ful- Fulham didn't deal with it at all. If we were doing the Fulham Vision podcast right now, mm. we'd be going, all right, so um, you know, Vieira's made that run to get the penalty. Why are we then allowing him to get another space over on the left half space to get that cross in for Eddie? Like, why didn't we realise what was going on and why didn't we stop it? Because it was so effective, Vieira like pulling off into that kind of left half space, which is kind of not really what we ask Havertz to do. We ask him to like start there, but go central. And what Vieira was doing was kind of starting a bit more central and then going to the left and like pulling off into that almost almost that like De Bruyne space. But obviously, De Bruyne does that from the right. That that's that's what you see in Vieira there, like. Just close your eyes and imagine De Bruyne winning, making that run, winning that penalty and playing that ball to Nketiah on his right foot from the right side. You can see it all. So there was something specific about what Fulham were doing that he felt that Fulham wouldn't be able to handle with those two players in that space. And he was completely right about that. So that doesn't completely um, suggest that Havertz, you know, it, it bears no culpability for his performance or anything. It was just there was a detail in the game that suited Vieira. And look at how quickly it changes. 20 good minutes out of Fabio Vieira. This time last week, everyone just going on about his weight all the time. Oh, he's too stone. He's too stone. He's too, like that really, really, when you're not playing well, those details bother people. We've got plenty of players who look like, like that, right? Gabriel Martinelli, doesn't look like the incredible hulk to me but no one cares because because of the way he plays so like 20 good minutes from Vieira and everyone's turned around on him there is only 20 minutes of the season and I think 
in both directions, maybe. We've just got to calm down a little. And actually, that that's why I really wanted to talk about that change and why I'm so annoyed by that equaliser because that is an example of what we can do with the depth and the multi-adaptability of this squad. Selhurst Park was not a Fabio Vieira game. This mm. was a Fabio Vieira game and we were able to use that player and it should have won us the game. Clive? Yeah, well said, Tim. I think... You know, when Trossard was being picked before the game, I thought, well, this is exciting, like I said earlier. But what I will say is, when Eddie came on, what he provided was physicality in the central spaces. When you have that physicality, you then have to go and cover it. right? So when you have to cover Eddie's physicality, where's the space? Out in the wide areas. I mean, i got to say, Arteta's got balls, right? Because Havertz just got... The biggest groan in the history since <laughs> mankind on that back pass. And who's he been on? The other guy that's been groaned at <laughs> in the home games <laughs> in recent times. Because he's seen the game and what it's required. And he's not and he's and he's trusting his personalities. The things that we said he was not doing last season. He only trusted a few. And so I think having that centrality which Zinchenko also fed into allowed us to play into the block. And then they they crushed in, they collapsed in, and then where's the space when you collapse in? Because you have to go narrow. When people start to play through you, you tuck around. And then you have to go narrow, and there's space on the outside. I didn't see that during the game. I didn't see it. Mm. I didn't see I didn't see when Eddie comes on, I saw the physicality improve, but I wasn't saying we desperately needed it. I thought Jesus would come on at some point. When you see Eddie come on, you say, Oh my god, we needed that. And suddenly people pick up on it. They pick up on the in the jewels being one, and they start to move. And when we start to flow and move, we're a good side. We're a good side. It's it's a beautiful game football. It offers you a different problem every single week. Have the ability to spot that in real time and then have someone come on and execute. Tim's right. We should be talking about that. That's what we should be talking about, how we overcame this, overcame our stupidity, Executed. Now we're talking about a whole set of things. We should maybe should be seen as a positive, but are now seen as a negative regarding building new relationships. I will say that Sinchenko's been out for four months, and we all want him to play. And maybe he will play in the next game from the start, which I would do. Build him up in two games. Gabriel Jesus, he hasn't started the game this season properly, you know. So we've got two knee ups ready in the squad. When Jesus is on that pitch, Sinchenko's on that pitch, and we start to see our main pillars and our top payers on the pitch, I think we can judge the people that we're not so sure about a little bit more clarity. Mm. I, I think you have to look at good players who aren't performing and say that there's more to it than just everybody's not at their best. I would say this through three games. Neither Saka, nor Odegaard, nor Havertz, nor Martinelli have been great. It's not because they're bad players. I mean, they're not. <laughs> Havertz is new. So him not being great means he sucks and we shouldn't have bought him and he doesn't fit in the role. Martinelli, Saka, and Odegaard not being great is they're fine, they're good, they'll come good. What do you mean they're not great? They're totally great, they were great. They weren't great. Kyle Saka couldn't complete a pass to a red shirt in the first 15 minutes yesterday. Now, look, he, he sticks away the penalty. Even when Bukayo's bad, he still rides challenges and gets into dangerous spaces. Right now. But, I mean, but he's doing weird things you haven't seen. At one point, it was, um, who was, who was on his side? Was it, was it Robinson? Who was, who was defending? Robinson. Yeah, it was yeah. Robinson. At one point, he, he, Robinson goes in and goes to ground. Remember, he falls. 
And Saka carries it into the box, and he's got everybody to pick from. And he decides to try to take it to the byline. And he gets tackled out for a corner. Paulina tackles it beautifully. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, who is a great player, and I wish he didn't play for Fulham yesterday, but uh, or you know whatever day we played Saturday. Um, my point is, those players have not clicked, and some of that has to be about partnerships and things. I think, Tim, what you mentioned is really brilliant because Vieira plays well when he's on with Zinchenko. That pod starts to look like a more natural pod, and guess who else comes to life in that period? Martinelli, who lays on the ball that becomes the penalty, right? But when it was Kivior over there, and it's Havertz who's still learning the role, that pod looks very disrupted. I just think, you know, and Saka, who doesn't have his buddy White bombarding down the right-hand side, pulling a defender away, these are all new things. Um, You know, do I think three months from now when Saka plays that ball through the six-yard box that Havertz will be onto it? I do. I do think he'll get there. These relationships take time to develop. It's just, I think what we did last summer is we... We played all preseason in the way we intended to start the season. I think what has people's eyebrows raised a little bit right now is we played the way we played last season in the preseason, largely, and then we did this. Um, In fact, the irony is, am I right in saying... Well, the other thing that I'll just point out, maybe we should touch on this, Tim. The player who has absolutely thrived through three games is Declan Rice. He was, once again, fantastic in this game. And I do think that Mikel wants to be able to give Rice that space where he's most comfortable, right? He do, he is more of a left, slightly left-sided biased player in the way he played at West Ham. He's, he's playing box-to-box. He's really doing everything brilliantly. Inverting from the right puts Rice, I think, into a position where he's real comfortable and gives him a platform, and he's really performing. If you start with Zinchenko, if you play the normal back four and you invert from the left, you are moving Rice into a zone, you know, where now he has to connect to that white Saka Odegaard pod. It's a little bit of a different spot. So do you think there's anything to that? Because Rice has been brilliant, and I do think that this structure suits him particularly well. And he's been really good, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things, unfortunately, we won't know about Timber. Maybe the plan with a clean bill of health was was for him to be the right back and do the kind of inverting, and then you know Mm. maybe he did that. By the way, in the in the uh, United game at MetLife, that was the only time I think we saw it. But he did do it there. Now, to be fair, that wasn't a good performance. That's another another story. Yeah, yeah, and uh, maybe his plan was to just do variations of all of these things and keep everyone guessing. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd say about Rice. I mean, first of all, he's just really good. (laughs) So. I, I, you know, I, I think that's kind of fine. Also, I think he is in. First of all, I think he's always been a bit of a talismanic player. Anyway, I kind of think that's who he is, and another one of the reasons he's so good is that he kind of bends a team to his will. That's kind of what he's used to doing and what he's good enough to do. Also, he's in he's in a kind of area where, I mean, you're, you're right. We're using him like in that kind of almost box to box. And so as much as we feel like we're a five back, five forward kind of team, he's the only one who's really between those two um, those two stools. And maybe that's just a slightly easier position, to, not easier position to play. Like tactically, there's probably not as much to it. Um, it just relies on you being really, really good. Like it relies on your magnetism and your your just out and out quality. 
um, and your personality and all of that. So probably like 99.9% of players can't do it. But if you do, it's not so much that it taxes your brain. It's just whether you're capable. I don't, I don't know. Like it, it, it might not be that. It might just be that he's better than someone like Havertz and it just takes him less time to learn. But I, I think what I'm really curious about, and we spoke about this a lot in the summer, is how does it work with like Rice and Zinchenko, for example, but we did see it in this game. Like Zinchenko did come on while Rice was on the pitch. And so things did change. I'd have to go back and have a look exactly how that worked at the time. But like it kind of looked fine to me. Um, so I, I don't, I, I can't really remember what Rice was doing in that period, whether he was going off to the right or whether he was just kind of staying stock in the centre. Game was a little bit more chaotic at that point. And, and really, I think the interesting thing that we're talking about here is, is Arteta going to fall on something and just what we're working up at the moment is like a plan B? Like, is he going to have a plan A at all? And are, is what we're looking at here partially driven by some injuries, by the Gabriel situation. Are we developing plan Bs, Cs and Ds here? Or are we planning to be a team that doesn't have a very specific plan A and is always on that carousel and maybe has three or four tweaks and it just kind of depends on the opponent or the game? I think that's the thing I'm curious about. Is there like a template that we slightly derivate from or is there no template anymore and I don't have a strong opinion on what it should be but those are the things I'm curious about and now like I've been really confident that Zinchenko's going to play any minute now and I know there's a there's a need to build him back up fitness wise because he didn't really have a pre-season as well but yeah and and I've been thinking about like the Man U lineup for example if you ask me now I'm going to predict that Partey will play at the base of midfield, like he did last season, that Rice will play left eight and Havertz will probably sit down um, for this game. Um, and, and you know, and, and it might just be, look, we've got to win this game and it's kind of too important for us to, you know, to still be trying to work things out. We've got to settle a little bit in this game. So, you know, I, I, I don't know, but I, I, my, my kind of gut feel is probably just that that's why you pay a hundred million pounds for a player, <laughs> because and and look, it, it psychologically it doesn't feel like it, but he could, Havertz cost a lot of money, right? And 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 I don't think it's entirely wrong to expect that. While I think three games is far too early to be counting him out, particularly because I don't think he played badly in the first two. There is actually quite a big gap between 65 million and 100 million. <laughs> mm. And I, there is just a part of me that thinks that's why Rice is a 100 million player because there's no settling in time because he's just that good. Yeah. I mean, he's just really good. And it does give us a lot of flexibility um, in terms of how we want to move things around and play it. The funny thing is, we've got a big game coming up. And I think we will set up differently. For United, then we have some of these. You know, I mean, look, we played Forest, we played Palace, we played um, Fulham. Three teams where we knew we'd have the possession, we knew we'd dominate the ball, and we set up a certain way. I think there's a chance we will set up differently for United. I think we will batter United because I think they're really bad. And then people say, "See, that's how we should always should have played." And I'm going to warn you right now. I think <laughs> we'll go back to to playing this way. I, I don't know, Clive. Um, I don't want to go too far into the United game, because we have another pod for that. We also have deadline day content we can do for for people because there will probably be some stuff that happens deadline day. We can all hold our breath over the Gabriel thing. We can all hold our breath that the club would not sell Emil Smith-Rowe to Chelsea 
because neither us, the fans, nor Emma Smith-Rowe deserve a fate like that. Um, one thing people are going to be wondering is when does David Raya get his chance to wear the shirt, the number one? I mean, he won't wear the actual number one, but you know what I mean. Um, any thought that Ramsdale's at error for the for the opening goal and that it's going to be putting thoughts in Mikel's head about, about the keeper situation? We don't know. I honestly don't know. I, th- I thought it looked a bit strange, that goal. Um, but I then saw it again and I realized that maybe the player sort of missed it slightly. But hey, look, it is what it is. I thought Ramsdale was fine. Uh, I don't I don't see an issue there. But you know my views. If somebody is doing well in training, as who would have picked Vieira to come off the bench in this game? He must have been doing something in training to show that he's ready to play. He's come on mm-hmm. and he's showing it. So if they're, if they're judging people, not just on the Saturday, but on the, in every other day in the week, then we'll soon know, right? Who's uh, who's going to go in? So, um, just going back on the Rice thing a little bit, I was I was concerned about Rice being more of a left CM rather than a a true six. But then Crystal Palace changed all that for me. I thought that was his mm. best game, and he was much more central in that game. And so now I'm not worried because Sinchenko can come in, and I think he's a he's a crucial player for us. He almost mirrors who we are. He's got the defensive frailty, the chinniness about him because he's trying to overplay on occasions. But when he plays well, he's absolutely brilliant and the whole team is brilliant. You know, and um, So I, I think that's not a problem for us. I think we can do that quite easily. I'm, I'm always trying to hold my thoughts back until the window shut. Maybe I've got to hold my thoughts back until the Saudi window shut mm. because I don't think a lot of these squads are going to be stable for a while. Man City are looking to buy. There are lots of teams looking to buy. We're we're transposing last season onto this, hoping it's going to go. We need to be ahead of City, and now we're behind the City. So we're already panicking. We just need to let this thing play out a little bit longer, you know. We 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 really have to try to, um, and it, it's going to involve. Maybe look, we said before we said we're going to have loads of lineup chats. Remember, we said that mm. pre-season we started to buy people. We're going to have loads of lineup chats, loads of substitution chats, loads of system chats. What we do in Europe, what we do at the weekend, it's coming. And you know why? Because of the, what we used to do has got us into this position where we are now a top tier club again. And all the problems we used, you know, we used to think about didn't really be, belong to us. They're now here. We're at the top table. If you, if we're this close to Man City, then we're in the top eight in the world, right? That's mm-hmm. that's 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 what we are. So that that requires different thinking. And we have to switch on to that, I'm afraid. And um, it's going to be challenging for me as well. It's going to be really challenging when I start seeing some of my favorite players. I basically think our best defender's not playing. You know, that's what I think. Our best true defender is not playing. Can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. Given that he did come on against Palace, were you surprised once we got to 2-1 that he didn't take Kibior off? Because at that point, we had Zinchenko left back, right? We had White at right back. And we had Saliba and Kibior at center backs. We're at two one. Were you surprised you didn't just bring Gabriel on for Kibior? Because whatever I think of Kibior at left back, I think it can work. I don't. I don't think he's a center back. In a Kibior, Kibior was fine, and what he did, mm. Kibior was fine. He didn't, he didn't do anything wrong. He was absolutely mm. fine. The issue, and this is honestly, I'm, I watch, I'm watching you. it, mate. <laughs> when, 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 when we did a rewatch, we'll have that discussion, shall we? Right. So. Um, he was fine. He wasn't a problem. So what does he do? He's leaning into something that Tim alluded, Tim got me onto this, actually. He 
he brought on Jorginho to close it out, right? He, he mm-hmm. brought him on. So rather than rather than re-emphasize last man of defense, I tell you what, I controlled it from the middle. Do you see what I mean? And it worked at Palace, didn't it? It worked. So he's using information. He was informed by that, and and it, and it, and it, this time it, it didn't happen. It didn't. We didn't get the control we needed, and and but honestly, we just messed up on the corner. That's all that happened. Mm. We messed up on the corner. We messed up on the back bars. And everyone's throwing the baby out of the bar for a while. Let's just, just relax a little bit. I'm, I'm worried, actually, Elliot. I'm generally worried about how, t- and I shouldn't do this, but how tense everybody is. Mm. Everybody's so tense, and we just need to relax. What was so beautiful about last season is we wasn't tense because our expectations were lower. We were just like on the first date. Well, not every date can be like the first date. Do mm. you see what I mean? It can't be like that. Life isn't like that. It's not every night. It's not like a Saturday night. We have to be more relaxed to create an environment which allows this team to sustain at least a two-trophy hunt. And this environment is not conducive to that. I I don't know. I would just say that this felt a lot like a first date in that it ended with a lot of crying and recriminations. <laughs> I don't know. Your, your experience may be different from mine. Um, and we messed it up in the first minute. <laughs> Touche. Exactly. Um, nailed it. Um, <laughs> uh, well, well, as we, as we get ready to get out of here, then I'll, I'll just say, Tim, do you think, I mean, if you want to be, uh, to, 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 to Clive's point, one of the reasons for the stress is if you want to be champions, you probably need 90 or more points. We've done that once in our history at least in Premier League history, you know. Um, you're the historian. I don't know if we've done that outside of Premier League history. Um, and it's tough, and it's stress, and what Manchester City do with the pace they set being so relentless is they make you feel like every game is existential. The players played nervous at 2-1, up a man at home mm-hmm. to Fulham. They, I promise you this, if Manchester City don't exist, the players do not play nervous in that game at 2-1 up a man to Fulham. But Manchester City existing makes every minute of every game feel existential. And now you combine United coming back to take all three points, Liverpool coming back, pretty hilariously actually, you got to laugh at Newcastle while I can, to take all three points, showing some character. When I have to admit, when they went down a man and down a goal and they looked easy to beat and they looked like their defense was a, a mess, I was thinking maybe maybe Liverpool are just done. Maybe Klopp is just done. Um, they come back to win. City get pegged back. They show the resilience to win. Is it just going to be the case that this stress that Clive points to is the reality and that, you know what, actually, if you want to be a Champions League contender and a Premier League contender, you cannot be nervous at 2-1 up a man at home to Fulham. You really have to play with a swagger, not a swagger where you're letting goals in the first minute because you're not concentrating, but a swagger where you you do not feel under pressure all the time every minute of every game. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, at the risk of rolling excuses out, this is a young team as well. Um, so like <laughs> they are learning this. They're learning this in real time. Uh, we're learning it as well. We haven't we haven't gone into a season expecting to challenge for the title for many, many years. So we're relearning it as a as a stadium and as a as a fan group as well. Mm. And and yes, clearly that is one of the big mistakes they made. Maybe being too relaxed in the first minute and not quite relaxed enough um, towards the end of the game. And even then, we bought some like big experienced players on, like Jorginho, like Zinchenko, uh, who ordinarily you, you'd kind of trust in that situation and got us through it against Palace. But like Clive said, we, we messed up on a corner 
um, on this occasion. And, and, and yeah, maybe because like no one else has nine points other than Manchester City. And they very nearly didn't have nine points as well because they messed up against Sheffield United. Kyle Walker tries a back heel next mm-hmm. to his own next to his own touchline. Haaland misses up a penalty. They nearly mess up two of the easiest points you'd have them taking this season. So there, there are kind of fine lines. Um, you know, maybe look, Man City got the result back, which feels a bit can feel a bit like a dagger, but at the same time, you know, you can say that was nearly a, a Nottingham Forest situation for them. Everyone's gonna throw away points. And and you know, to your point about Liverpool there, like The thing is, we're changing our... This this goes for the whole of the football kind of network and all of that. Everyone changes their opinions every week based Mm -hmm. on the latest result or the latest performance. Now Liverpool are the title challengers again. Now they're looking really, really good. Whereas like a couple of weeks ago when they played Chelsea and it looked like an under-10s game, everyone was like, well, they're going to finish eighth again. Like maybe it's time for Klopp to go. All of a sudden Tottenham, like, they played an under-10s game against Man U, but they won it. And then they go and beat Bournemouth and everyone's like, oh, hallelujah. It's a, it's like a, it's a whole new era for Tottenham. It might be, it might very well be, but it like, it, this is like, when you take a step back and look at it, to me, it just like, it, it make when I say it makes me feel a bit nauseous. I don't mean like I feel like like I'm on a roller coaster or something. Right, yeah, it's, it's like too, too many swings and it's just yeah. like, whoa. And like next week, Whoever, whatever happens in the Arsenal Man U game next week, assuming there's a winner of that game, that team will be the new team that everyone says maybe they're the title challengers, and the team that loses will be maybe they won't get in the top four. Like it swings so wildly, and a really, really thick. Like I'm really trying to just step off that roller coaster, not just about Arsenal, but about everything and everyone where, and like the relegation candidates, it's like, Oh, they're down. You know, a team loses in August. Oh, they're going down. They're going to, they're going to beat Derby's record. Then they're going to beat (laughs) someone a week later. And it's like, maybe they'll get in mid to like, it just swings so wildly. And honestly, I'm, I'm just trying to take a bit of a step back Maybe about mid-September, I'll start losing my head. I'm going to give it until at least then. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Look, it is a long season. You have to be able to zoom out. The problem is you only have so many points you can drop. Let's call it 24 points. We dropped two of them at home to Fulham. So we got to get those two somewhere else. We said preseason, all of us, we all agreed, we may not be as good to start this season as we were last season, but we're going to finish it better. I still believe that. And that's fine if these are the only two points we drop in the first two months. If we drop eight points, you're dead. You know, that's unfortunately how how it works. Um, But, you know, last season, City were champions. They dropped points at home to Frank Lampard's Everton. They got the two points somewhere else. You know where they got them? They beat Arsenal twice. We beat City twice. We're going to be champions. I still believe that. The only thing that annoys me is I think throwing away those points just pressurizes the United game in a way that it didn't, it might not have been pressurized. Um. Because I don't think they're very good. I really don't. And I know someone might be sitting there saying, are we very good? We are very good. Yes, we are very good. You know, we possess the ball. We dominate teams. We dominate chances. Are we at our best? Are we clicking? Not necessarily. The thing that sticks in my craw, that will stick in my craw from this game, and does now from the Palace game, because it's consecutive weeks, those 15 minutes at home to Fulham with a 2-1 lead, where we had 38% of the ball and no shots, that game state management stuff is, I, I think that's just something to keep an eye on. So let's keep an eye on it. Look, the deadline's coming up. 
The Saudi deadline, as Clive aptly points out, is not till September 7th. So we're all going to be gnashing it's our September teeth over the Gabriel 20th, thing. September 20th, actually. September Is it the 20th? I thought it was the 7th. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, so, yeah. you can get your information from mainstream media, I guess, um, if, if that's still around. Uh, and, you know, so we're going to be gnashing our teeth over the Gabriel thing for a while. We'll see what happens. I, I think the partnerships are being rebuilt. They're going to take time. And what Vieira showed, if anything is Kai Havertz is only a 20, 20 good minutes away from being a fan favorite. So, you know, let's just let's just see. Let's hold fire a bit. We're three games into a season where we've dominated the three games by and large. Um, and, you know, we're on seven points, not zero. So <laughs> we're worth remembering. Um, and a big game ahead. So lots to do this week to get ready for the United game. Lots to do for deadline day. Uh, and we will be here to do it. And we love you. And by the way, if you would have a vote for us on the uh, FCAs, the football content awards are coming around again. We'd love your vote for best podcast if you want to do it. You know, it's a nice thing. And, and Andrew, Andrew's not interested in it. So he gives this one a swerve. So you're free and clear to vote for us and vote for him in the in the bigger stuff. Um, our pinned tweet has it. I'll put some information in the in the uh, show description if you want to do that. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter, Stominator. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Rewatch probably tomorrow uh, and, you know, maybe a Premier League power ranking since it was pretty fun slash terrible weekend in the Premier League. We might do some of that. Lots over on the Patreon side if you want to be there. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Mentor, Inc. Gunner. Thank you so much, everybody. We love you. We will talk to you after Arsenal 10, United Nil. No.